take the opportunity also to uh, continually pray for you. Father, I just want to pray right now before we even get started for Monica, that she will hear us praying for her and knowing that you're able to do exceeding abundantly more than what we can even ask or think. And it's not depending on the doctors. All you have to do is speak the word and it happens. Thank you, Lord, for that. And as we uh, go through the furtherance of this service, Lord, we just want to just hold her up to you and ask that you will keep her close to your heart, that when she cannot see the results with, with your hands, she'll trust your heart, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the saints said, amen. We are, um, we of course want to look at Resurrection Sunday and what all takes place during the resurrection. I thought I would take a, always taking different routes here. Uh, I'm going to take a different route as we look at this whole idea of the resurrection. Um, as we uh, begin to move through this, we're going to look on the other side. It wasn't a hallelujah boulevard when Jesus rose up from the dead. The disciples were not saying hallelujah, thank, thank you, Jesus, and everything else. They were hiding. They were scared. Uh, they said what the Romans did to him, they were going to do to us. And they were all locked up. No, no, they weren't, they weren't having an Easter service, or what they call Easter, but resurrection service and whatever the case may be. No, 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 no. They were, they were locked up to make sure that they stayed safe. And uh, that's the dynamics of it. So when we talk about the burden of proof. The burden of proof, uh, what happens here is that as we begin to enter into the text, uh, we're, we're going to take an individual out of uh, the disciples, and we want to just kind of drive home some very important points in our moments together. John 20, 19, on the evening of the day, uh, of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. We'll get back to that. But in our introduction, the resurrection is the foundation, foundation and historical fact that enlightens, encourages, and, and, and uh, assures, safeguards the blessed, and, the blessed hope that we have in Christ. Clarifying our thoughts for this morning, there's a vast difference between an opinion, speculations, and truth. Where there's no proof, it lacks credibility and should not be taken seriously. Whenever, I don't care what a person says to you, if they do not have the proof to validate it, then it's not proof. It's not a truth. It's an opinion. It's a thought. It's a deep feeling. A great emotion, but not true. Okay. And if it's not true, try to keep from going to sleep on it, but at least be respectful. Because it's not going any further than that. We're talking about the burden of proof. If we accept the truth of the resurrection of Christ, we must be willing to die with our convictions. Because one, one thing about it is that the moment that you are on the other side of the cross, those who would live godly will suffer what? Persecution. 
You remember the song? Must Jesus bear the cross alone? And all the world go free? Oh, no, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. The, the, moment that you, the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're saved from the, from the judgment of, of God, but you're still under the wrath of the world. That's why the disciples were so, so frightened. There were several things that the burden of proof will establish. Let's say it again. Ready? Clarity, confidence, closure, confirmation, courage, commitment, and comfort. When you have God's truth, then as the psalmist said, the psalmist says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, my, is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Oh. Let us observe and learn from Thomas the experience. Here's our outline. His absence. His demand for absolutes in order to embrace the truth. His assurance. The, the Lord had to, the Lord wanted to, he'd already dealt with Peter on one side of the cross. Cursing and swearing and saying, I never knew him. Now on this side of the cross, he's dealing with Thomas. Same type of love, same type of patience. Because a lot of us might, might wound up like Thomas. There's some things that we're not quite grasping and we're stumbling in our Christian life and, and Jesus knows that. So on this side of the cross, on the victory side of the cross, that is where we want to uh, focus in on. So we want to start then his absence, 19 to 23. Now what 19 to 23 in uh, John 20, 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his, and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The dynamics of what's going on in these verses, we'll, we'll just kind of hit, hit on. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Notice four things Jesus shared with the disciples who, were locked, who locked themselves in. He stabilized the environment with the word peace. Isn't that, the, isn't, that the, isn't that the common word from the Old Testament all the way through the, net, uh, the New Testament? The whole idea of peace. If you don't have peace with God <clears throat> and God is not able to give you peace, then there's something wrong, not in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. Because God promised that if you keep your mind on him, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, a good report, any virtue, any praise, think on these things that you have seen, heard, and, and do, and let's this. You do it, and the God of peace shall keep your hearts. These guys 
was shook up. Next, he shared the reality of his resurrection by showing his hands. Here's the proof, guys. I'm not a ghost. Look at it. And I can imagine, imagine the guys, they're, they're, they're between being locked, uh, locking the Romans in and Jesus walking through the lock saying, I'm here. There's a, there's a shock and awe that's going on right here. What does it take for the Lord to really show himself real? Does he have to show up and you put your hands in, uh, into the wounds? What would it take for you to, to start saying he's real, real? Jesus is real to me. Oh, yes. And he gives me the victory. That comes from the inside out. You have to be convinced of that. And guess what? Why is Jesus doing this in the first place? Why is he going through all of this? Because these are the guys he had trained for three years. These are the guys who are supposed to be turning the world upside down. And if they doubt going out, what effect do you think they'll have in the world? They don't realize that they are more than conquerors through him that love, uh, love us. None of that pierced their minds. They're just, just gloping and, and trotting through life without Christ. The thing that breaks my heart is that believers are acting like that. They're acting like they never knew the Lord. They think it's all about them. I'm not trying to be uh, insulting, just trying to give you a fact. You're nothing. The only reason you become something is that before the foundation of the world, God made you something by choosing you before the foundation of the world to be a part of his family. That's the only reason that gives you purpose and, and substance and knowing who you are when the whole world turns their backs on you. He showed them the pattern and method of effective ministry, obedience, and dependence on God. He gave them a, a, a process in dealing with, with sin. Question, what else was displayed in those precious moments with the Savior? Hesed. What's the word? What's the word? Hesed. What's the word? Hesed. I want that word to really deal with that. I, I wish we could spend a whole class on the word hesed. You see, when we talk about God's love, we, we talk about, you know, we, we mentioned the Greek word agape, you know. Uh, we, we go over the other paleo and, and storge and all you know, we because we got the Greek. But when you go to the Hebrew, there's a word called hesed. Now, here's the principle of hesed. If I show love to you, there is the rule of reciprocation where you have to show love back. So then if I forgave you, you must forgive others. You, you get the idea? When, when we talk about Hesek, then we're talking about the whole idea is that God is saying, my love is so tied into you that it's not based on what you do, but my commitment to you. Hesek. God is totally sold out to you that nothing you can say or do can separate you from the love of God. You're on the other side of the cross. Don't you understand that? And being on the other side of the cross, sometimes you have some low moments. But the God, the loving God, the God of Hesek, he shows up and he lets you know that Regardless of your doubts and your failures and everything else, I'm going to come after you. 
he went after Peter. After Peter cursed and sweared, he didn't, Peter didn't know how to get back to the Lord. But Jesus fixed dinner for him and talked with him. And God is saying, listen, we know that we pass from death into life because we what? Love, we say love the brother. It's with the same level of hesitation that I don't care what people say or do, it will not change my determined to love you and to always keep you before the Lord. That's love. An unconditional commitment. His attitude, verse 24 and 25. But Thomas, you see that but, that, that, that conjunction with a function. But Thomas, everybody else, they were blessed. Everybody else, uh, the, the Lord gave him the, the assignment and the Lord breathed the Holy Spirit upon them and the Lord did all of these things. But Thomas, you see, a lot of times the things that you hear that might be like delight your heart and everything else, but those who are not here, they missed out. And I don't care how you try to explain it to them and how your heart burned and everything else. They can't quite grasp it because they were absent. Thomas was absent. The Bible doesn't say why. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, who was not with them when Jesus made his appearance. The other disciples there said to him, we have seen the Savior. But he said to them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the prints of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. What did he say? What was his, his determination? Here, now, now understand who the person is. He says, unless I do these three things, I will not believe. Guys, it's Don Racket. Guys, I appreciate the three years we hung out together, and I appreciate the fellowship, and, and boy, bless my heart to see all of the, the, uh, the miracles that Jesus have done, and, and truly was the son of God, and, but he died on the cross of Calvary, and I can't get over the fact that he died, and you tell me he rose again. He said, I accept the other things. I, I accept the victories and all these others. But he hasn't got up and I haven't seen. You told me, but I need to see it with my, by myself. I'm from Missouri. You have to show me. I, have my, I have to have my own personal show and tell situation. So that I can have a testimony. You are giving your testimony. And I'm not going to get happy off of your testimony. I have to have a testimony here. Now in order for me to have a testimony. There's three things. Let me lay it out to you. Three things I have to do. I had to put my fingers. Notice what it says. He said. Uh, he said. Except I shall see his hands. Print of the nails. I have to see it. Put. Notice these, these verbs. Put my finger into the prints of the nails. And then another verb, thrust my hand into his. Didn't say, didn't say, no, just slightly touch his side. Thrust my hand. You see, you have to understand, a person who is that driven, once he had the facts, will die with no hesitation. 
But, but Thomas, see, Thomas had another problem earlier when Jesus said, um, I must go away. Peter didn't ask the question. Thomas said, where are you going? Why can't we follow you? At least Thomas shared his heart. At least he kept it real with Jesus. And he was telling the guys, I'm keeping it real with you. Unless I have the burden of proof, I'm not moving. Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you have that type of conviction? Are you that person that sings the song of meaning when you say, I shall not, I shall not be moved. I shall not, I shall not be moved just like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I shall not, I will not be moved. What are you standing on that will make you very adamant about that? And if, see, you're either one way or the other. Either you're totally convinced that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for your sins and you're willing to die for it. That's great. What's your burden to prove? Or you're not quite ready to make that type of commitment. Question, what's keeping you from doing that? You're either on one side or the other. There's no free agents here, folks. Either you believe it or you don't believe it. Do you need physical proof? Or would you take the faith that only God can give for you to latch hold of? But whatever it is that you grasp a hold of, you have to stand your ground. There were several things Thomas missed in his absence. Are you ready for it? Here we go. What's the first one? Participation. He wasn't there. He missed the environment. He missed the joy. He missed all, can you imagine being in the room all locked up and everything else? And remember, Peter, when he was on the water, he says, it's a ghost. But wait a minute. They're in the room, all of them in the room, and all of a sudden, in that closed room, Jesus walks in through the locked doors. Can you imagine the amazement? And the shock and awe of the disciples. And the first thing he said to them was peace. The same thing he said to Peter when he was getting ready to go down. He was to the disciples when they were in the boat and things were going rough. Peace. He always used that word, peace. Calm down. I'm here. Peace. The next thing was what? Praise. They said that they were glad. They, it wasn't like a glad, oh, Jesus, you showed up. Thank you. It's, oh, it's so good. We just feel so good that you showed up today. We were behind these locked doors, and we were spirit of the Romans. You know, Jesus, when you walked through that door, we knew that we had it made. We shall overcome. It was not that type of glad. It was one of those hallelujah, praise the Lord. What we heard isn't true. He's not still in the grave. He rose again. He's glad. Then precious moments with Christ. Then you have peace. He had proof of his resurrection. He had a pattern of ministry. Thomas' position was not of hostility, but with a genuine need for affirmation, just like, uh, just 
like others, the, like the others, we love Jesus, but he, but the heartbreaking experience was probably overwhelming. It should be just like. What happened was this, what I was trying to say is this. How can you move a man? He was with the other disciples. He felt the fear, the disappointment, feeling lost, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, but he's not there. Until he went into that room, until the Lord showed up, he was still in his darkness, still in his fear, still with a sense of lostness, still with a sense of what's going to happen in the future. Should I go on being a disciple? He didn't have anything to motivate him. He was going back with the guys who he thought probably were on the same level. He walked in and these guys are rejoicing. We've seen them. Hallelujah. He said, I cannot make that paradigm. I cannot make that shift, that physical shift, unless I do three, th three things. I had to see it. I had to touch it. I had to thrust my hand. I had to get over, see, I had to get over what's from, from this point. You have to understand. I have been in bondage up to this point. I've been emotionally shut down, discouraged. And you're telling me, and I'm supposed to just rejoice with you guys? I need something that I can hold on to. Give me some proof. Did you know something out of those passages? The disciples didn't rebuke him. Matter of fact, it's not recorded anything that the disciples said other than positive about Jesus. As far as they're concerned, okay, Thomas, then we'll let it go. We come now to the last part, his assurance. When we look at his assurance, John 26 uh, says this, 2026, and after eight days, you notice the length of time? Jesus didn't just show up. The Lord waited eight days. Again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus. The doors being shut again and stood in the midst and said, what's the word? Peace be unto you. Then said to Thomas, reach thither your, th thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My God, Lord, my Lord and my God. What a tender moment. When Jesus showed up, he didn't bore them out. Jesus didn't show up and said, Hey, come here. Put your hands here and put your finger on my side. And Do you think Jesus did something like that? You see, Thomas was a part of the, one of the chosen ones. The Lord don't treat his chosen ones like that. Thomas, if Thomas wasn't pulled in, he would have missed the mission. And so he had to pull Thomas on the same level of his disciples. 
How do you pull a man from, from the depth of his darkness and his defeat and, and all of the fears and everything else? And now how do you move him from this side to the side of victory and joy? What do you do? Says Thomas. This, now notice this. This is the one only. Nobody else did this. What a privilege. So Thomas, I want you to do one thing. Come on. I want you to thrust your finger into the, in my nail print hands. And then I want you to thrust into my side. And I want you to believe. Quit doubting. Now, the Bible didn't say Thomas did it. When he saw Jesus, it was enough. And the Lord makes it very clear that and I think it's, it's, it's very important. Um, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because thou have seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. And many other signs, Jesus, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that we might what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we might have life through his name. John says, this is the reason that I'm putting this whole thing out, so that we will never be moved by what we believe. And when the world says, prove it, no, uh -uh, I don't have to prove anything. You prove I'm wrong. Jesus Christ already proved I'm right. So I'm not going to do double homework. If he did my homework, I'm not going to do your homework. If you think I'm wrong, prove I'm wrong. Prove that there's not. There was never a tomb that he never died and he rose again. Prove it when there were 500 witnesses that saw him. Prove it that when he died and the, 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 the uh, curtain was torn in half. And, and folks will tell you, folks got up out of the grave. Saints got up out of the grave and walked into the town. Prove Now all you need to do is prove none of that happened. I'll wait till you finish. I'll probably be getting my retirement pay as, as you work on it. You prove it. When folks said, prove it to me, I don't need to prove anything. See, I have the absolute. I, I tell you what, the, here's the absolute. Here's the word of God. I believe the word of God. I accept it. I apply it. And I'm living it. Now, you don't want it good. Then show me what you have. Prove it. You find that the other folks' gods never got up. Buddha never got up. My concern, even saints of God, when it comes down to the cross of Calvary, beware of those who keep Christ still on the cross. Give me an empty cross any, any time. Whenever I wear a cross, it's going to be one without Christ on the cross. He's no longer on the cross. He paid the price. And when he paid the price, then that made a difference in my life. And disciples, and, and Thomas needed to understand, that need to be really embedded in his mind. Because Jesus was not going to do this again. Consider these four significant things that these verses reveal to us. One, what is it? Timing and environment had to be right. 
God is always good at doing it at the right time. He didn't show up when he said, I, I won't believe it until he, he could have showed up right then. I probably knocked him off his feet. But he, you know. So the Lord gave eight days. Eight days so that he can hold on to his convictions. Eight days that he can ponder over what the guys have said. Eight days to choose whether I'm going to believe this or not. But he made a statement, I will not believe. Eight days, then when the timing is right, Jesus showed up. Through locked doors, Jesus showed up. I don't care where you're going. I don't care what you're going through. I tell you, uh, as, as uh, Brandon would say, Jesus will meet you. <laughs> and he met this guy behind locked doors because of Hesek, the love of God. That will not give up on you or me, regardless of our failures. You come through your locked doors and your, and your times of discouragement. That tender moment of assurance. He says, okay, Thomas, you have all of these doubts. Here is your defining moment. Put, here's my hand, here's my side. And from this point on, believe. Don't be faithless. The truth about believing for the believer with an unshakable faith. But I tell you what, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet they will believe. Blessed are the individuals that believe every word of, God's, uh, of God and will stand there. And you don't have to argue with anyone. You don't have to argue when you're right. If a fireman is there with his hose and your house is burning and he says, step five feet uh, away from this because this is what's going to happen, you better, you better obey the fireman. Why? Your house is on fire. He has the hose. If all of, do you think that he has to argue with you? When it comes down to God's word, if God said it, that sells it. The trademark of the love of God, establishing a path for whosoever will, uh, could be saved. He said, if those who will believe on this, they will be saved. I've been thinking about the whole idea, and forgive me as I begin to wrap things up, but I've been thinking uh, about the whole idea of the cross of Calvary and all the things I don't have to do. On the other side, you had to have the bulls and goats and all the different type of animals. And on the other side, there was the high priest and, and there was a lot, and just once a year, they would go behind the curtain and offer the sacrifice. And then they put it on the scapegoat and they lead the goat 20, 20 miles outside of Israel, through the camp, all the way up to the point where they would let that scapegoat go. And once they did, then they, said, then they would shout, it is finished. And they would, they would uh, telegraph that by voice all the way, tribe by tribe, until it finally gets back. We don't have to go through any of that. Once and for all, we're on the other side of Calvary. And on the other side of Calvary, that's when Paul says, you're more than conquerors through him that love us.
on the other side of Calvary, you can resist the devil. And he not walk but flee from you. Praise God for that. So, one last thing. And this one last thing is, remember the word hesed. God's love and the payment that was needed to fulfill his righteous requirement because of the cross and the resurrection of Christ, we have a great and guaranteed future and hope. Understand what the cross has done that makes the Savior so precious. At the cross, on the ground, men cursed him. In the spiritual realm, God impelled all of our sins upon him. From both angles, Jesus was hit. And he took it all in. He didn't die. He took it all in. And when he feel, and when he sensed that he had fulfilled all scriptures, he said, it is finished. He died alive, bearing our sins. And the wages of sin is what? Death. They couldn't kill him on the ground. That means that man killed him. He had to be killed on the cross. Because man put him up there because of their sins. And God put his wrath on him because of our sins. And God brought about a new mix. Where we are Christ. And there's, there's a way, remember the word, remember about the word hesek. The word hesek, one of the compounds is this, one of the residuals of this. Whenever there's a hesek, there is a rule of reciprocation. If God loves you, you also should love one another. I'll challenge you if you want to further look up that word, then uh, write it down. Go on YouTube. They got a whole list of a whole thing. Just sit there and listen to the, the Jewish rabbis and everything else. They'll break it down to you all, even more than what I've just tried to share it with you. Because we understand that the burden of proof, we don't have to carry it. God have established it. All we have to do is believe it. Jesus don't have to share up, show up. And in our lives this morning, my prayer is that on this Resurrection Sunday, as we go through this day, we can take a moment just to say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. Thank you for your great grace. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the saints. We Thank you for your word and what it has to say to us. We thank you, Lord, that you shared the experience of Thomas. You could have kept it all quiet. But you made it very clear that just even being a Christian, there are times of doubts and challenges and frustrations. And we need to show, see something else. In the midst of all of that, you have a tendency to show up. Give us peace so we can finish what you have purposed for our lives. Help us, help us to appreciate what you have done. The cross was necessary. Rising from the dead was essential, needed.
that we may believe in and trust you with our lives. Help us, Lord. We'll be fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil. Help us that when we do just that, and heaven done all, as Paul says, just stand. And standing, Lord, with the, the sword and the shield and the helmet, our feet shattered with the gospel of peace. Lord, I just pray that we will be the people you're calling for in this day and time. Thank you for what you're going to do. Great is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the saints said, amen.